Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and here I are recording the show on Friday, March 25th, 2022. Uh, when last we talked, Drew, you and Katie were headed out to Palm Springs for a well-deserved break, but it was going to be, what, a work-play thing because you were going to have to participate remotely in the Moon Knight press thing. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. But it was it, it was very quick, so I didn't. I, I was not gone very long. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it was it was really great. I'm I really like this show. I don't know if I can. Yeah, I think I can say my thoughts on it. I really liked Moon Knight. I've seen four out of the six episodes, and okay. uh, I talked to all of the filmmakers who directed episodes. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I was wondering. I had it set up in my hotel room, and it was it was pretty easy so yeah it was great i can't wait for you and aaron to start dissecting you know the episodes this show goes live on the 29th so i I guess i'll have to pull a drew taylor and get up at midnight to watch it yes and speaking of pulling a drew taylor you know on our last show you you hinted rather broadly that there was a giant piece of animation news coming very very soon that you couldn't talk about but you finally did get to reveal that on the wrap just yeah. this past week, right? Yes. Can you talk about who's now joined Brad Bird over at Skydance? Rich Moore, director of Zootopia, oh. Wreck It Ralph, Wreck It Ralph 2, a veteran of The Simpsons, The Critic. Oh. I would argue maybe the greatest episode of Futurama ever, Roswell that ends mm. well. Yes, yes. Yes, he is okay. now going. He is joining John Lasseter after a very brief stint. At Sony Pictures Animation, he's now making his home at Skydance Animation, where he's signed a rich overall deal where he will be producing, writing, and directing feature films for that company. Now, we've talked about the folks who've gone over to Skydance. We've got Peggy Holmes, who's directing Luck. Uh, We also got Alan Menken, who's written the score for Spellbound, which... We'll have a script by Linda Wolverton, who wrote the script for Beauty and the Beast, and lyrics by Glenn Slater, who Alan worked with on Tangled and Homed on the Range. But I was honestly surprised to see this week mentioned that Chris Montan is over there now. I saw that. Yeah. That this is the former president of Walt Disney Music. Yeah. And likewise, Louise Ferdinand's. He spent 20 years at Disney on the consumer product side of things, eventually rising to the rank of senior vice president and central creative for consumer products and interactive media at Disney. And and now he's in charge of, of licensing and consumer products at Skydance. Yeah, I probably bumped into him in the halls at some point uh, at GC3. Wow. Upside is, this guarantees there's going to be luck and Spellbound merch. I mean, I'm still bummed out that I still can't buy a Wish Dragon plush from from the Netflix film. Yeah. Although, did you see that Spin Masters was named as the master licensor for Spellbound? So, might want to rein in those expectations a little bit. You got to walk before you can run. Right. Speaking of which, though... It's one thing for a John Lasseter to reach out to a Kyle Murray. I, I, no disrespect to Kyle. Kyle's the screenwriter, or one of the screenwriters in Cars and Cars 3. You know, but when you follow a Brad Bird with a Rich Moore, and then you throw a Chris Montan and a Luis Fernandez into the pile, you're not kidding around. Skydance is at least, looks like it's playing for keeps. Yeah, I'm still very interested in who's actually doing the animation production for them. Mm. I think there's a 
studio in Spain that they've got set up. Mm. But I that is the one piece of the puzzle that I'm still very, very interested mm-hmm. in and do not know the answer to. Mm. So, yeah, because this is a lot of stuff coming down the pipeline. You know what I mean? We were just talking back in December about Ron Musker and, and John Clements are no longer making a movie, going to retire, leaving Disney. And uh, no, they're over at Warner's and they're going to make Metal Man. Which, oh, uh, before I forget, uh, did you see the, the word about, uh, I think it was Animation News broke the news about how uh, John Musker, in addition to directing Metal Man, is going to be teaching courses at Southern California's Dodge College of Film and Media Arts at Chapman University. Oh, wow. Yeah. Can I audit these classes? <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. It's, he's going to be mentoring students there. So I, I think this school's suddenly going to really be on the map for people entering animation. But, oh, uh, by the way, on, Animation Magazine also got John to talk about why these Disney vets went over to Warner's to work on Metal Man. And it, John explained that Ron Clemens and I both grew up reading the comic book during its first appearance in the 1960s. We liked the mix of of science and animation-friendly character comedy and the personality-driven comic relationships of the book. We think it would be a a really fun movie and, you know, introduce a, a wider audience to these characters and... And at this time, evidently, Warner's has the rights, which ugh, that story about Mort, all that time they put into working on Mort and and they still couldn't get the rights. It's yeah, like, I recently brought, I mean, in the last couple of years, brought up Mort to somebody at Walt mm-hmm. Disney Animation and they said, we literally, we, we legally cannot yeah. even answer that question. That is how wow. touchy wow. Mort has become. But anyway, uh, that's such a shame. Yeah. Okay. Well, it just feels like a lot of folks are leaving Disney these days. And I'm sure you saw the story in the trade this past weekend there about the JPEG piece where they, they talked about how he's not good with talent. And I'm getting the sense that we're seeing this play out in real time that, yeah, he's not good with talent. They're going elsewhere. He, it doesn't seem like he's very good at anything at the moment but you know. uh, he, made, he made a lot of money for the company yeah, that's sure. the fact that you know again remember you know chief defense now is like look at the stock price the stock price is great right. so anyway lots more news this week folks uh, but before we, we get to that the news portion of this week's fine tuning is brought to you by storybook destinations trusted travel partner of the jim hill media podcast network for a worry-free travel experience please book online at storybookdestinations.com Okay, last week or thereabouts, we talked about the Annies and how well Mitchells versus the Machines did at that award ceremony. They took home eight trophies, including Best Animated Feature, which seems to bode well for this coming weekend for the Oscars. Yes, we will, we will break down the Oscars in detail next week. Yes. That we will. Yeah. Uh, but it's also worth noting that at this year's Annie's, Maya and the Three took home two awards. So that was recognized as the best animated television broadcast production for children. Also uh, took home an Annie for best achievement in music for animated television and broadcast production. And we're talking about Maya and the Threes. It's that great series that debuted on Netflix back in October of last year, nine episodes. And What's great is on the heels of the success of Mayan the Three, we're getting a new movie over at Netflix. 
Do you want to talk about I Chihuahua? Yeah. Well, first of all, I Chihuahua is a great title. Um, and it, is, it is. It is. It is basically a luchador supernatural um, adventure film. And the mm-hmm. official log line is, after mm-hmm. learning his beloved home is in danger, a young chihuahua named Chacho dons a lucha libre mask to become a luchador. Our masked underdog enters an international fight tournament competing against a hilarious and electric eclectic mix of animal fighters from all over the world leading to the final epic fight against the nefarious beast known as Camacho the Widowmaker. And that sounds like Uh, a great logline to me. Yeah. But the other thing I I love about this is you've got Tim Yoon, who was a producer on Maya and the Three. Likewise, uh, Doug Langdell and his wife, Candy Kelty Langdell, who were writers on Maya. And of course, Gabriel Inglisius, who voiced Pichu, the Golden Mountain Barbarian, who was the third warrior of, of Princess Maya's team of warriors. Yes. But Ai Chihuahua is kind of Hori getting the band back together again, because it's a lot of the very same folks who worked on Maya who are now working on this movie. Yeah, I believe the piece of concept art they sent out was done by one of the, uh, Maya's chief character designers as well, which is a really cool image that I'm sure you saw on Twitter. What's interesting about Gabriel sort of graduating to the lead, voicing the lead role in this thing, because he's a hugely popular stand-up comic, but only began really doing voice work back in 2013 with Disney's Planes, and then did Book of Life, Coco, Ferdinand, just did Speedy Gonzalez on uh, Space Jam A New Legacy. So really looking forward to seeing what he does with this one. Yeah. I'm just wondering if he's going to be back for Magic Mike 3, Jim. That's really my biggest question. He was the DJ in the first one. I don't know. Anyway. So many reasons we lie awake at night. Yes. (laughs) Who will be back? So uh, you just mentioned the Oscars. And you've probably heard over the last couple of days about, we heard about, okay, they're going to perform... We don't talk about Bruno as part of the show. Have you heard who they're going to have perform? We don't talk about Bruno. I mean, it's almost the entire cast is back for it. Yeah. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. It is. And my concern is whenever Disney does this, have you ever watched the 1992 Academy Awards? That was when Disney actually got three songs from Beauty and the Beast nominated. Be Our Guest, Bell, and the title song, Ballad, the, the uh, Beauty and the Beast. And they made the decision that they would bring the voice talent back to do this. So they combined Bell and Be Our Guest into one big production number that started out with Paige O'Hara and Richard White and then transitioned to Jerry Orbach on stage. And and then the one I know you'll enjoy, Drew, because you, you always enjoy slow motion car crashes. They, they opted to do later in the show, the ballad, Beauty and the Beast, but it starts off with Angela Lansbury. And then in the middle of it, Angela hands the song off to Celine Dion uh, and, and uh, Peebo Bryson, because of course they're, they're the two who sang the hit version of the song. The radio version, one. yeah. The radio yeah. version. And then, you know, to, but so they're, they're wailing away, you know, and then, then they hand it back to Angela, who tries to be Mrs. Potts, and it's just, it's one of those moments where it's like, maybe I shouldn't have brought the voice actors back. Wow. Okay. 
it didn't hurt the film. I mean, you know, Beauty and the Beast took home two awards that year. Best song and best score. That was also the year it was nominated for best picture, wasn't yeah. it? Or, oh, yeah. So I'm pulling for the Encanto voice actors. And by the time you hear this show, folks, we'll have already seen it because the, the Academy Awards are going to be shown this Sunday night. Yeah. So we'll know whether or not it worked or not. I'm but, excited to see it, but I, uh, would I rather have seen the best editing award actually be given out? I would. I think it's a little yeah. weird that they're doing a big musical number for a song that isn't nominated. I agree. This is this is a chunk of stage time that really could have gone to those other categories. But on the other hand, if they really were looking for people who could pull off, we don't talk about Bruno. Did you see just today that Disney Parks published the version that the Dapper Dans are now doing in the park? No, I did not. Is it great? They cut it down to the parts that, that it works for close harmony. Right. And you really haven't seen entertainment until you've seen a guy in a straw boater hat, seven foot frame, rats across his back. It's like, oh, okay, well, this Very is what threatening. I look for right? yeah. on Main Street USA. So, so Academy Awards are going to happen uh, this Sunday night. Previous Sunday, though, uh, we got quite a big turnout uh, for a, a, a different gathering, and that was the Animation Guild Solidarity Rally. Uh, this was IATSE's Local 89. Close to 1,000 people turned out in Burbank. You must have seen the pictures of that sort of thing. I did, so. yeah. I mean, obviously, I live in Toluca Lake, which is right near Burbank, and everybody mm -hmm. is you know, very up in arms about this, and and rightfully so, I think. Hmm. We still need to do a bit a bigger deep dive into this. Maybe we can do that next week. But uh, what exactly they're fighting for? It, it's so strange. We live in uh, an animation boom time. And in fact, uh, uh, Drew, uh, 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 you know, why don't you you tell folks about you know, how big a boom time? Talk about how many shows Nickelodeon. Just renewed. Oh my God! <laughs> well, I mean, they renewed. They did this whole. It must have been an Investor's Day or something, but they announced a Paw Patrol movie spin uh, sequel, which we knew about, but a Rubble spinoff, a Faces Music Party preschool show, which is based on that Nickelodeon face character that used to be kind of an interstitial character in between shows, Big Nate coming back for season two, a Baby Shark special with Cardi B. There are so many people who make fun of Baby Shark. Yes. You know, because it, it, it's... This insipid song, so to speak. But did you see the video of the folks on the plane who that they had a crying baby on the plane that just could not be calmed? And somebody thought to start singing the baby shark song. And it, it literally the child stops like, what? You know, it's a, what's going on? And, you know, and and it, it was interesting. The adult sort of handed off singing the song. You know, to calm the baby down. During no, the I didn't so, see that. But we we have so, we have a lot of baby shark content coming, Jim. We have a movie. We, we have, do. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, also, I thought it was interesting that there was there is a blues big city adventure live action film coming to Paramount mm -hmm. Plus, as yep. well as a live action um, Fairly Odd Parents that's coming out next week that looks very weird. Yeah, I, I want that to work. I do. Yeah. But we'll see. Um, but mm -hmm. season 14 of SpongeBob's mm -hmm. uh, Patrick Starr spinoff is getting another season. Uh, mm -hmm. Middlemost Post is getting a second season. And Loud House, 
which I believe also has a live action film in de- development somewhere, is getting a seventh season. And these are all debuting between now and 2023. So that is a lot of content. And that's a lot of work that animators have to do. Yeah. And there's been a lot of stories sort of leaking out around the sides here about people having to, you know, I mean, being paid for our, you know, 40 hour a week, but having to put in 60, 80 hours to meet the actual deadlines or what's expected of the shows. There's so much. Yeah. What about um, like when things are remade or, you know, whatever, they none of the writers get any kind of compensation for yeah, that. That's the other issue here. I mean, so much of the language that's in the animation contracts are used today are from a, a pre-Simpsons world. And the negotiations began back in November of last year and kind of stalled around, around the holiday. They began again in March. And they've been at it for, at this point, more than 12 days trying to get some sort of agreement and bring the language of the contracts into into today's world where things get streamed or, you know, an animated series like The Simpsons can run for 30 plus seasons and and become this behemoth. Yeah. You know, so what's also terrible about this is that because people who work in animation are so fearful about losing their jobs. I mean, stuff kinds of leaks out around the sides. And, and uh, for example, Drew, you know, how, how you got beat up for months about, you know, the DuckTales story, where, yes. you know, you, you were that terrible person who said that DuckTales wasn't coming back, or it's like, well, surprise, it didn't come back. You know, they, yeah. they, they had shut down production. Yeah, I had held on to that news for a year or something. You did, so, you did. Yeah. I, I remember when you initially told me that, and it was yeah. just one of these things where it's like, you know, we can't talk about this, because, you know, the people are, are scared for their jobs, and, and you know, and, and not to, to, to share gossip here, but, you know, heard from friends just this past weekend to the effect of, uh, you know, I guess something similar just went on at Netflix that, that three different shows got their plugs pulled and one of them may be the new Alex Hirsch thing. Is oh, that don't, don't say that, Jim. I don't want that to be true. We need a new I Alex don't... Hirsch show. No, the world needs a new Alex I Hirsch know. show. I mean, you know, so uh, if anybody has any info to share there, we'd love to hear it. Hopefully it's good information and not bad information. Yeah, we want, yeah, we we want these shows to happen. I wonder if Netflix is maybe recalibrating after giving so much um, freedom and financial backing to some of these shows. But let's face it, we live in this algorithm-driven world, and it could just be that yeah, we we just the algorithm, and it tells us to do this now. Yes, but again, you mentioned by the way that that you know a lot of these shows that just got picked up or renewed at Nickelodeon. We'll see those news episodes coming in 2023, which is by the way 2023. Is the hundredth anniversary of the uh, the founding of the Walt Disney Company? I was kind of surprised to find out that Warner's also was formed or founded in 1923. In fact, they're celebrating their centennial in November of next year. It was a great year for the pictures, I see. Uh, moving pictures. <laughs> well, I was just thinking, given that the Warner's is basically just down the street from Disney, it's like, yeah. you know, you have you have the cake. <laughs> you know, <and> it just <laughs> you always have leftover cake. Just move it down that's the street right. to Warner's. Right. Whatever that's whatever Warner Brothers Discovery, as it will be known in just a <laughs> oh, few that's months' right. time, with that terrible that's logo. Right. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Buy up a lot of that merch, folks, because it's yeah. that, that name made last time. All right. right. But but speaking of, of Disney and its its centennial, there is going to be a traveling exhibit celebrating the, the 100th anniversary of the Disney Company. Show's going to launch, what is it, a 15,000 square exhibition feature showcasing stories and characters from Walt Disney Company's last century. Ooh, that's a, that's a bad phrase to use with Bob Chapek, isn't it? Your, your yes. last century. Okay. But yeah, it, it starts at the Franklin Institute in Pennsylvania in February of next year. And uh, like I said, is it, it's supposed to travel and... And and speaking of, of, of traveling, like traveling to the moon on gossamer wings, when we get back, Drew is going to tell us all about uh, Apollo 10 and a half. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We've talked a little bit about this Linkletter film. Yes. I love that trailer. So please tell me yeah. this movie delivers on the promise of the trailer. Oh, it does completely. It'll be out this Friday. So the Friday okay. after this episode airs. And I mm -hmm. encourage everybody to watch it. It's really wonderful. It's that kind of rotoscope style that he's employed um, in Waking Life and A Scanner Darkly. But it's for a... Really fun movie, sort of a coming-of-age tale, slice-of-life type thing about a kid mm -hmm. living in Houston, uh, the Houston suburbs in the late 1960s, and how he is recruited by NASA to do a mission called Apollo 10 and a half to test out the lunar module because they built it too small. So it's this kind of fantasy wish-fulfillment stuff in with this. Jim, you're going to love it because literally for two minutes, they'll just talk about what was on television during that period. Oh. And they'll just list every single thing, every movie that was out, every candy bar that was on the shelf. And it is just, it's really cool. I was really charmed by it. And I hope everybody loves it. But I think you're going to love it, Jim, as someone who oh. actually remembers the 60s. I loved watching this paper when I was a kid. And, and it was sad to watch what happened in the 70s when we all drifted away from paying attention to yeah. kids going to the stars. But that's one of the reasons why I just ate the Thomas Wolfe book, The Right Stuff. Right. Where the book is one of my favorite pieces of writing on the planet in it. It's it's talking about the, the moment that they reveal the Mercury 7 and how the audience is putting itself into hysterics and applauding. And the way Wolf explains the frenzy is every so often in the paragraph describing the press conference, he would drop in a parenthetical phrase. It's like, and these brave men who are so brave because our rockets always blow up and they're going to go into space on our rockets that always blow up. You know, and it's just sort right. of like, we weren't really good at going into space in the early 60s. And speaking of, of not being good at things, there's this quote by, by Bob Iger that I absolutely love when a couple of years ago before he left Disney, he got asked, this was as the company was looking into the smoking crater of Disney Infinity. And it was just sort of like, what happened there? And it's like, look, you know, 
We're Disney. We're good at making movies and t- television shows and theme parks and cruise ships and the like. We, we've just never managed to demonstrate much skill when it comes to the publishing side of games. And, and Drew, you were in the building during some of this stuff, right? I mean, you know, if you well, think about yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I was in the building during the, uh, the boom and bust of Disney Infinity, which was in- interesting. Well, I remember visiting you on the Disney Creative Campus. In fact, I think this is when I got you in trouble because I visited you. But walking around the campus, they had those full-size, I mean, people-sized statues of the Disney Infinity figures, you know, scattered around the campus. And, I mean, don't get me wrong, they were beautiful sculpts, but it was just kind of an indication of, hey, the company really believes in this, and this is going to be a big thing. And this came in the wake of what happened with, with Epic Mickey and that platform game that, uh, again, a Warren Spector, who, by the way, is the nicest guy on the planet and a true Disney fan. In fact, you know the story of, of Epic Mickey, how he, he, he went to Disney with a Scrooge McDuck game he really wanted to do, and they, they pulled a, a Musker and Clements on him, you know, to the effect of, well, if you help us make our Epic yes. Mickey game, we'll let you make your Scrooge game. And it's like, yeah, that didn't work out. He's actually interviewed in the new Mickey documentary that's going to be on Disney Plus later this year. No! Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Got to check that out. Yeah. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Okay. But yeah, what was it like to be inside there when clearly, you know, Disney thought with Disney Infinity, because again, think about it, it was an action adventure game with, with physical toys and they talked about the sandbox and the open world creation and story given gameplay. And can you talk boom bust? What, what was it like? Well, I mean, it was really interesting because they were trying out a lot of things. Um, and I think that, you know, one of the things about Disney Interactive is it was a business unit that was largely funded by other business units. So, you know, if there was a new Marvel movie, I'm just going to hypothetically throw out Guardians of the Galaxy, and there are, yes. um, let's say, some lesser known characters, like let's hypothetically say Yondu, that they are then forced into the game, and there are, again, hypothetically, warehouses full of unsold Yondu figures then that became a real issue. You know, what it was like balancing those needs from other business units. And, you know, there were plans for uh, a third game. And um, there were a lot of figures that some of them ended up actually being produced and sold and given away sort of as parting gifts to the staff over there, including a Peter Pan that goes for like hundreds of dollars on eBay now. But I, th- I thought it was a really fun, dynamic way of uh, using the characters. And even, you know, there are some toy box action figures that they sell on Shop Disney that are based on the they sculpts. They do. Right? They do. I, I thank you for mentioning yeah. this. Because, uh, again, I, I always felt that the, the figures that were done for Disney Infinity were, were beautifully done. Strong yeah. poses. and Stylized. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. G- good stuff. So, uh, you know, again, when, you know, wanted into our, our local Disney store and it's like, oh, that clearly somebody had taken the design that had been done for uh, like a Star Wars figure. In fact, I think they did a whole set of the Star Wars figures that were clearly Disney Infinity based, you know, oh, and yeah. just but up, upsized them to action figures. Well, I bring this all up now, Drew, because... I'm doing my usual trolling around the internet, trying to chase down information for fine tuning. And I see, and it's one of these things where it's like, I know that character. And there's just a piece of art there. It's, I know that character. What do we know that character for? And it's like, 
oh my God, that's Ian Lightfoot from Onward, which of course I know so well from the wonderful book that you wrote, The, the Art of, of Pixar's Onward. But this is a, an Ian Lightfoot that I'd never seen before. And this is a, a reimagined Ian Lightfoot for the Disney Mirrorverse game, uh, which is a team-based action role-playing game, uh, RPG, that's going to be released June 23rd worldwide through the App Store and Google Play. Okay. What's interesting about the Mirrorverse is that they have taken dozens of Disney characters that you know. But the idea is that this, can, in a weird sort of way, it's kind of the Disney multiverse. This is the language they use for the, the trailer that's out there online. Beyond the worlds familiar to you, there exists another, born of powerful stellar magic, a universe reflected from the familiar yet different, perilous, the mirrorverse. At its center lies the stellar mirror, with malevolent forces seeking to shatter its power. Guardians stand together, united against this unrelenting threat. As the darkness closes in, all must fight to protect the mirrorverse and save the worlds beyond. And so... What they show you in in the trailers, like they show like Sully, uh, you know, in in the locker room at uh, Monsters Inc., and he smiles at himself in the mirror and you know walks away. But you then travel into the mirror, and there's this now this super armored version of of Sully getting ready to go into battle. And then you know they do the same thing with Belle. She's reading a book. She's in front of a full length mirror. She walks away, and then you transition to the mirror, and here's here's Belle the Guardian, who's you know, doing battle with, uh, you know, and, and again, it sounds strange, but the sculpts of the figures are so amazing. And also they're kind of, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, the, the very thing you were talking about, the, the notion of lesser figures, you know, the Yondus being sort of shoehorned into Disney Infinity. Here they've made some really interesting choices. I mean, uh, Drew, you, you get the ones you'd expect. You get you know, the members of the Fab Five. You get Mickey, Minnie, Donald, Goofy. Uh, likewise, you can play the Disney princesses. Also some Disney heroes. But then you get to play in hero mode Disney villains like Maleficent, Ursula, Hades, Gaston, Captain Hook, and Scar. Likewise, you get Pixar favorites like Buzz Lightyear, the Sullys, the Mike Wazowskis. But then there are, are characters like you get to play Eve from Wally or, or oh, Anger from Inside Out. And I'm really not doing credit here to the sculpts that are used for these things. Like, for example, they have two figures from the Disney Afternoon. They have uh, Scrooge McDuck and Baloo, but it's the Baloo from Tailspin, not the Baloo from Jungle Book. And in fact, what's interesting is in their description, he is a bold pilot fighter, not a fighter pilot, a pilot fighter. Okay. And uh, they stress that because one of his fists is literally the wheel of a plane, you know, that they used to touch down. And the other one is a shattered plane propeller. So the idea is that when Baloo goes into battle, he pummels you with his tire fist and his shattered propeller. But there's also modern-day Disney. You can you, the, there, There's a Baymax, who is, your in this case, your personal battle companion. Uh, likewise, Judy Hopps from uh, Zootopia. And then they have... Nightmare Before Christmas. They, they have Jack Skellington and Oogie Boogie. And then 
just suggesting they, they really have plans for this. One is that they, they go into Disney live action, and, and let's remember in Disney Infinity, they did that as well. That, that In fact, I still I can, I can look at them now. I've got those wonderful figures they did for Lone Ranger. Yeah, those are great. But they do Jack Sparrow. Kind of interesting. It's a Jack Sparrow that, that definitely leans away from the Johnny Depp look of, of Jack Sparrow. Is a little taller, a little thinner. But then there's Frank Wolf. The character that, that Dwayne Johnson just played in the Jungle Book movie, which I know they're supposedly doing a sequel, but that's a character you bring into a game. <laughs> Francisco Wolf, isn't that what he we discovered he his name was? Because he was a there we go. There we go. Yeah. But when this launches in the, the June twenty third. It's very much a RPG. You jump online, you form teams, you do quests. It does sound very much kind of the Disney Infinity back game plan because supposedly they're going to try to tie on a monthly basis to you know what's going on, you know what films you know are are being released to theaters, what's showing up on Disney Plus. It sounds very ambitious. And on the heels of what Mr. Iger said before he went out the door, hey, we're not very good at game publishing. The fact that here's Disney back in this space yet again. But I, I, I have to say, again, as a fan, and, and just as Drew said, I always thought that the Disney Infinity figures were so beautifully sculpted. Yeah. And if you Google Disney Mirrorverse Guardians, there is, I want to say it's a 10 or 15 minute long loop where they walk you through every one of the characters that are playable when this game launches. And again, they're just beautiful sculpts. They're beautiful takes on the characters for different takes on the Disney villains and the heroes and the Fab Five and all that. And it'll just be interesting to see whether or not this gets supported with merch or Chapek keeps talking about the metaverse, right? Yes. And there are figures for these put out by McFarlane. So if you want to start looking oh. at those, yeah. Oh, well, there we go. Yes. Okay. So before we close out here, I wanted to ask, you must have obviously seen the story. It was the Hollywood Reporter, right? About yes. the Mission yeah. Impossible franchise. and By our friend Kim Masters. Yeah. Gotta love Kim. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, excuse me, is this a hornet's nest? Can I shake it a little bit? Let's see what happens. Yes. She loves she loves going doing the black eye for both eyes, not just one. She wants to make sure, yeah, yeah maximum damage. <laughs> so did we know about the submarine? Because I did not know. We have, we have not heard anything about a submarine. Uh, that sounds very cool, though. I mean, it does. It does. It, it was but... an interesting article because it made it was attempting to kind of like smear Tom Cruise and Paramount mm. at the same time. Cruise for running amok and Paramount for not reining him in, I guess. Uh, it was a very weird article that just rehashed kind of a lot of the things we'd already heard. But the submarine thing was definitely new, and I just can't mm -hmm. I can't wait to see it. I mean, there's nothing cooler than a submarine, so bring it on. Is I what agree. I, say. I agree. I just, I, I have to admit, I was just sort of fascinated by the way they described the filmmaking process and, and what they went through to getting episode seven done. In the pandemic. Well, I don't know if it's totally done, but yeah. Well, no, <laughs> but, that's it exactly. You know, so. I, th here's the thing. I will say this, that I, I feel like they're knowing so much about the process now and mm -hmm. being so involved with the filmmakers. There is right. a method to the madness. It seems very chaotic, but 
the proof is in the pudding and how, I mean, oh, no, 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 absolutely. Fallout is a argue. classic as far as I'm concerned. So, yeah. Yeah. And that was the other thing that, that came across in the, the piece. The fact that look at how much money these movies make. Don't yeah. upset him. Yeah. Well, there, and there's nobody making movies like this, you know, no. it's like he, there's, there is no CGI. There is no, you know, it's all real. Well, uh, and, and that's the, the other thing, frankly, I think that, that people don't understand about, when you, you have Tom Cruise starring in your movie, no one also sells a movie like Tom Cruise. Correct. I mean, he he's very old school, as in he will do, he will travel the world, he will do all the junkets. Whatever couch you want him to sit on and talk about the movie, he will do it. At the same time, he wants his studio to back him up. So are you going to be talking about any of this on Light the Fuse? Or? We talk about it on our Patreon. So, I mean, I get another great reason to sign up for the Light the Fuse Ooh, Patreon. That's right. Um, there we go. And, yeah, we've got some good shows coming up. I don't think I can talk about them yet, but I will say if you if you do like visual effects, we will be talking to more people who have worked on the visual effects for some of these movies. And I think we're actually talking – we've reached out to Tom Cruise's caterer on some of these movies, Jim. So we're going to be – we're going to learn – what you have to eat to be able to survive one of these movies. So I think that's something you and I could certainly benefit from. Tom does so much running in this yes. these movies. Yeah. Right. I think the only way they could get me to run like that <laughs> is if, if somebody were to put the box of donuts on a string on the back of a motorcycle and just get her come on, Jim, just a little faster. You, they can, there's a crawler right inside here. You got to keep moving. <laughs> so... Yeah, we're we're more of the uh, Bill Clinton running to the McDonald's type. Ah, uh, yeah. there we go. Yes. Okay. Running, drive through. What are you talking yes. about? So, all right. If we haven't been fairly clear here, that again, we are talking about Drew's podcast, Light the Fuse, which he does with Charles Hood. Beyond that, you want to be following Drew on social media. Can you tell the nice folks where they can find you on social media? Oh, yeah, sure. Drew Taylor, like a tailored shirt. Uh, Jim never retweets me or responds to me on Twitter, so we need to publicly shame him into engaging with me on Twitter. That's it. I mentioned that I'm a technological idiot. No, but you will will respond to people. I see you getting into it with Tom Morris. Jim, I see it. I, I see it. I, I okay. I'll get better. All right. Uh, let's see. Beyond. Oh, uh, Nancy would like me to remind you that uh, you can find us on uh, what is it? Uh, Facebook and Twitter is Jim Hill Media, and over uh, what? Are, no, at, at Facebook at Jim Hill Media News. That's going to do it for this week, folks. Thanks you for listening, and we will be back soon.